The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Tuesday edition of the PFTPM podcast. I have a conversation with Broncos running back Philip Lindsay coming up after I babble for a while about the things happening in the National Football League. And then after the Lindsay interview, I will answer some of your questions. It has turned out to be a very hectic day in the National Football League as one domino fell on Monday when Matt LaFleur became unofficially the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers. They still haven't issued a statement, but he's the guy. And... We're still trying to figure out how he became the guy so quickly. He was interviewed on Sunday, hired on Monday. And initially I thought the Packers became intent on hiring Matt LaFleur because somebody else wanted him. I'm told that no one else had made a request to speak to Matt LaFleur. So if somebody did want him, it hadn't resulted in a formal request to interview him. It may just be the Packers, Based upon the homework they did after firing Mike McCarthy, came to the conclusion that they had the guy they wanted. After they interviewed him, it was confirmed, and now Matt LaFleur takes over in Green Bay. That's just the first of eight dominoes that will fall, at least eight dominoes. There could be more, depending upon other teams that may make changes, and it wouldn't be the first time that a team makes a change after a playoff run ends. The Buccaneers closing in on Bruce Arians. That seemed inevitable over the weekend. And there's a chance Todd Bowles will reunite with Arians in Tampa. Bowles would be the defensive coordinator. Arians, the guy who will be asked to turn around Jameis Winston in year five of his career. That decision to keep Winston, I don't know how attractive it makes the job. Maybe Bruce Arians would have wanted to get Carson Palmer to come out of retirement. But I think Arians knows going in, that's the gig. That's the expectation. And after a year out of football, his second retirement, although the first retirement following the 2011 season wasn't really a retirement. The Steelers called it that. It was a it was a firing in Pittsburgh. He landed on his feet in Indianapolis as offensive coordinator, became coach of the year in 2012 after Chuck Pagano missed most of the year fighting leukemia. And then again in 2014, I believe, Bruce Arians was coach of the year in his second season with the Arizona Cardinals. So he'll go for Coach of the Year three times. Farthest he got the Cardinals was the NFC Championship game. They had developed a pretty strong national brand that is now in the process of deteriorating significantly after last year's disastrous season, one year with Steve Wilkes as head coach. And now it appears that the Cardinals are locked in on Cliff Kingsbury. And what a ride that's been. Saturday it was reported by ESPN that USC was blocking Kingsbury from interviewing with the Jets or the Cardinals. I then reported that Kingsbury was thinking about quitting his job with USC, paying what would be a very small buyout, and considering all NFL opportunities from head coach to offensive coordinator. Something happened on Monday that allowed Kingsbury to interview with the Jets and then quietly went to Arizona. The Jets had been announcing the end of every interview that they conducted. They never announced that their interview ended with the Jet with Kingsbury, and that caused some speculation that Kingsbury hadn't even made it to Arizona, but then come the reports that Kingsbury's finalizing a deal. So there you have it. For whatever reason, it was a discreet trip from New Jersey to Arizona, and Kingsbury poised to take over the Cardinals, take over the development of Josh Rosen, and maybe it'll work. There is a sense of befuddlement among people in the league, among media, that Kingsbury failed upwards from Texas Tech, where he was fired, all the way to the position of coach at Arizona. And I understand that in this day and age, there is a fascination with offensive minds. But in a year where so far there's only been one college head coach who has emerged as a serious candidate, although Matt Rule, the Baylor coach, 
is on the Jets radar screen. Brian Kelly at one point was on the Buccaneers radar screen. It's just odd that it would be a guy who got fired by a mid-level program. And I think that's a fair characterization of Texas Tech. That's not a West Virginia, Texas Tech, Big 12 thing. I'd call West Virginia a mid-level program. And I'm as surprised by Kingsbury becoming an NFL head coach after getting fired by Texas Tech as I would be if Dana Holgerson had ended up becoming not the coach of the Houston Cougars, but the Houston Texans. I mean, think about that. Holgerson didn't get fired by W. An 8-4 season came within a possession of landing in the Big 12 championship game. And he takes a step down, although I think he was going to get fired by West Virginia after next season. And I don't think anybody in Morgantown was all that upset that it ended now. But you got Kingsbury, who gets fired in Lubbock, lands at USC as offensive coordinator, is there roughly a month, and is poised to become the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. It's not necessarily the best look for the Cardinals after firing Steve Wilkes, giving him only one year, and instead of giving him a second year to fix it, you go grab a guy who was fired by Texas Tech, who was something like 35 and 40 or 30 and 45. 35 and 40 sounds better. Peter King rattled off the wins and losses for Cliff Kingsbury on PFT Live today. It's just odd. It's really odd that that's where we are. The Browns reportedly closing in on either Freddie Kitchens or Kevin Stefanski. And look, I said that the Browns were poised, if they make the right hire, to become a Super Bowl team next year. And I don't know enough about either of these guys. I know that Freddie Kitchens has worked well with Baker Mayfield, but maybe that's Baker Mayfield. And I really do wonder whether or not Baker Mayfield went into Jimmy Haslam's office, plopped his butt down in a chair and said, listen, I want Kitchens. Peter King and I discussed that today. He thinks that Baker Mayfield, no rookie quarterback, including Mayfield, would do something like that. I think Mayfield is proud to do it. Why wouldn't you do it? Hey, look, I'm the most important employee on the team right now, and I will be for the next decade. We know it. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. So here's what I want to do. I want to work with Freddie Kitchens. I want him to be the head coach. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kitchens as the coach and Stefanski as the offensive coordinator. That's one of the things that may be getting lost in this shuffle here. Maybe it comes down to Kitchens or Stefanski for head coach, but if they go with Kitchens, maybe they make Stefanski the offensive coordinator. Maybe they go with Stefanski as the head coach and make Kitchens the OC or at least keep him in that spot. I don't know where Greg Williams fits in in all of this, but it will be awkward if Kitchens, who was working for Williams, and remember when Williams got the interim job, at one point he said he didn't pick Freddie Kitchens to be the OC. If Kitchens ends up being the head coach, and Williams stays as defensive coordinator, that's awkward. Because you're going to have guys in the locker room with divided loyalties at that point. And it reminds me of something I blurted out today when Peter King said that in Cincinnati it could be Vance Joseph as the head coach and Hugh Jackson as the offensive coordinator, or Hugh Jackson as the head coach and Vance Joseph as the defensive coordinator. And something that I said that was kind of a joke, and Peter, I think, thought I'd lost my mind, and it wasn't the first time I've induced that reaction from him. What if they just go with co-head coaches? You know, it's not unprecedented. Peter pointed out that the Packers had co-head coaches at one point. Could they have co-head coaches in Cincinnati? Could it be Vance Joseph and Hugh Jackson as co-head coaches? Hey, crazier stuff has happened and crazier things have worked. So this is one of those where if you put it out there as an idea and it never happens... Yeah, some people are going to think you're nuts, but if you explain that you acknowledge there's a fine line between thinking outside the box and being downright crazy, and that it's just kind of a kind of a funny little thing to talk about, right? People understand that you're not saying it's going to happen, but if it would happen, you look like a Sven Jolly. What did I say? So, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's fun to think about. It's fun to talk about it. Just like it's fun to talk about the little twist that came up yesterday when I was on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh with Andrew Filipponi. And he raised this. I haven't written about it at PFT yet. I want to throw it out there for your consideration. I'll write something about it probably tonight. The possibility that the Steelers would promote Mike Munchak from offensive line coach to head coach in the process of trading Mike Tomlin. Now, the seats are starting to fill up. I don't know who you call at this point. For a Mike Tomlin trade, especially with the three NFC vacancies likely filled. 
Packers have their guy. Cardinals apparently have their guy. Buccaneers apparently have their guy. I don't think I'm missing anyone at this point. What if this thought gets out there and someone like David Tepper says, you know what? I was going to keep Ron Rivera, but now I'm getting rid of him and I'll just trade for Mike Tomlin. And one of the realities of that procedure Because Tomlin is a minority candidate, even though he's coached for 12 years, he still falls within the auspices of the Rooney rule. Tepper could, in one fell swoop, fire Rivera and trade for Tomlin without having to interview anyone. Anyone else could do that, too. If you're on the fence about your current coach and you're thinking, you know what? Mike Tomlin has done a great job in Pittsburgh, even though there's an argument to be made that he hasn't done as well as he could, that he's underachieved, that he lacks some of the traits that are easier to develop, but he has some of the traits that are harder to possess. He's very good at the hard parts of the job. I think he trips over his shoelaces on some of the easier parts of the job, but I don't know, just spitball. If you're a team, and and again, I don't know that the, Steelers would be all that inclined to trade Tomlin to an AFC team. Would they trade him to the Jets? I don't know. It depends upon what the Jets are offering, I guess. They wouldn't trade him to the Bengals. Not that the Bengals would trade for him. Browns are locked in on their guy. God, if John Harbaugh would end up the Dolphins head coach. Now, it feels like that's not going to happen. It feels like Harbaugh is either going to stay in Baltimore for one year or have a contract beyond this year. But just think about it. Think about it. Think about your favorite team. And think about whether or not your favorite team would be upgraded by having Mike Tomlin as the head coach. Plenty of guys out there are definitely safe, but there are some that you could argue are in a tenuous position. Would it make sense to send, I don't know what the Steelers would want for Mike Tomlin, but if they're looking for a way to gracefully move on from Tomlin, to give Mike Munchak the head coaching job. Now, the problem is the Steelers can't, I doubt that they can can do that end of it without a full-blown search, but here's how it would go down. Tomlin gets traded. Boom, he's gone. Munchak removes his name from consideration in Denver. He's supposedly a finalist with Vic Fangio. The Steelers do a full-blown search, and they end up hiring Mike Munchak at the end of that process. Ben Roethlisberger gone public to say, send letters to Art Rooney advocating for him to do anything he has to do to keep... Mike Munchak, and I mean, if the guy wants to be a head coach and has a chance to be a head coach, I mean, for crying out loud, how do you say no to that? Reportedly, he did last year when the Cardinals wanted him. But it's just, it's, it's kind of fun to think about it. What team or teams would be interested in Mike Tomlin? Would you want your team to hire Mike Tomlin if Tomlin were available? So... I'm intrigued. I hope you are too, because when Andrew Filipponi mentioned it, my first reaction was, holy crap, there may be something here. I kind of like this. I like this idea. Not that, see, I'm always looking for intriguing concepts for different kinds of thinking, and that's definitely different. All right. I think we've covered most of the vacancies. Packers, check. Cardinals, check. Buccaneers, check. Bengals, check. Browns, check. Dolphins, I don't know what they're going to do if they don't trade for John Harbaugh. There's some steam, there's some buzz, there's a vibe that Chris Richard, who got fired a year ago by the Seahawks, is going to coach his way with the Cowboys into that job in Miami. Jets, they wanted Kingsbury. Who are they going to get now? Is Mike McCarthy going to surface there? And of course, as I do this loose list, I'm, I'm missing one team, but that's okay. If I'm missing that team, maybe it's not all that significant of a team. Did I mention the Broncos? I did mention the Broncos. Fangio or Munchak. I think that's all of them. So that's kind of where we are. Things are starting to move after a slow week. I had thought that somebody who's currently coaching another NFL team would try to finagle his way to Cleveland. And maybe that happened. Maybe these conversations occurred at a high level behind the scenes. What would it take? Sean Payton from the Saints. That's what I would. Hey, look. I, I don't know. Maybe Freddie Kidd would be the perfect guy with his dog pound sweatshirt. Maybe Kevin Stefanski, the dude that looks like Negan from The Walking Dead. Maybe he's perfect. The guy's been hiding in plain sight since 2006 as an assistant who worked his way up the ladder at Minnesota. Maybe he's the answer. Maybe the Vikings are going to regret not making him the head coach of the team at some point when they've had these opportunities to consider him. 
I don't know how a guy who's been hiding in plain sight all of a sudden becomes regarded as a hothead coaching candidate. And when he's only drawing interest from one team, it just makes you think, what's what's that one team see that the other teams out there looking for a head coach doesn't? But you know what? That didn't stop the Packers with Matt LaFleur because they were the only team that wanted him. All right, time for me to get on my soapbox as it relates to the corrupt industry known as college football and the NFL and the NFL Players Association's complicity in it. Trevor Lawrence, six foot six inch true freshman, wins the national championship with a rollicking 44 to 16 victory over Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And my guess is that if Trevor Lawrence were in the draft pool, someone would use a first-round pick on him this year. He's ready, but he can't come to the NFL. He can't come to the NFL because of a rule that was promulgated by the league for one reason and for one reason only. They'll tell you there are other reasons for it. It's important to pursue the education. It's important to protect these underdeveloped bodies from the rigors of professional football practice and professional football games. Although... You could argue that college practice is more intense at this point than pro practice because of all the restrictions that have been bargained into the CBA at the NFL level. At the college level, there aren't any restrictions. There are some, but they're, 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 they're not nearly as restrictive. They bang around in pads all the time at the college level. One of the knocks on the Alabama players, specifically running backs at the NFL level, is they're beaten up, not from college football games, from college football practice. So the three-year rule is essentially a device for protecting college football, which is the NFL's free farm system. See, the NFL decided at some point, this is a pretty good gig for us because there's all these kids that play high school football. We will let the various universities be the gatekeepers for determining which of these guys really deserve an opportunity to play at a high level from 18 to 21. And we will allow the wheat to separate from the chaff, the cream to separate from the crap at that level. And then working with those universities to the extent that they're as cooperative as they should be. And it's still stunning to me that plenty of college football coaches are jerks when it comes to giving the kind of access you really scout these players. I mean, coaches at some level should be career placement officers who relish the opportunity to place their guys as high as possible in the draft. That that should become the feather in the cap for recruiting your incoming class of players. But a lot of these college coaches just don't want the disruption. They don't want the distraction. They don't want their young players to get all googly-eyed about the NFL. They want them to focus on what they need to do. Because all these guys get lured to major college programs with this vague idea that they're good enough to play in the NFL. Even if you sit them down and tell them, son, here's how it works. I know that you're currently being pursued by three different major college programs, maybe more, to come to their school and accept a full scholarship and a spot on their football team. And I know that you were dominant at the high school level. And I know that you love football. And I know that you expect to be highly successful at the college level. And I know that you aspire to play in the National Football League and you have the confidence in yourself to think that you will. All that said, a very small percentage of young men just like you, as talented as you, as gifted as you, as driven as you, as enamored by the sport as you are, only a small percentage of them are ever going to make it to the National Football League. The odds are against you, son. Plain and simple. The odds are against you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Okay, so what are you thinking? I'm thinking I'm going to play in the NFL. See, there's a thing about that delusion. The ages of 18 to 21 are great. You delude yourself in so many different ways. Never getting old. Never going to die. Never going to be able to not do the things I currently do. Life is perfect then. And you've lived a charmed life by virtue of the fact that you are healthy enough, strong enough, fast enough, physically gifted enough to even be under consideration by a major college program. So that's what these colleges do with the subtle or not so subtle promise of playing in the NFL. They lure you to college football. You're going there for a quote-unquote education that a lot of these kids don't even want. But you're going there because you're majoring in football, even though the success rate is pathetically small, even at the best programs. 
for their senior players, for their graduating players, or at least the players whose eligibility has expired, a small percentage is getting to the NFL. Doesn't matter because 100% of them are confident slash delusional enough to think they're going to be one of the ones that go. You can't thrive at any level of football without that kind of confidence. So, the reality is that of that small percentage that make it to the NFL, an even smaller percentage declare themselves very quickly to be NFL ready. After one year of college football, you know. Leonard Fournette, we knew. Jadavian Clowney, we knew. Trevor Lawrence, we know. So how do you keep these highly confident, to the point of delusional, young men from rushing right past college football straight to the NFL, where a high percentage of them will fail. How do you keep that from happening? You create an artificial rule that prevents these young men from making the business choice, the business decision, the life decision to roll the dice on a potential professional football career, knowing that they are giving up their ability to play college football for a quote-unquote education. We protect them from that decision. We don't allow them to make that decision to make money off of their own abilities. The best reason they can articulate for that is, well, these are young kids and they really wouldn't thrive against grown men. Well, if that's the case, why does Nick Saban bring grown men, failed former members of the Alabama program, back to practice in pads with his players? I remember when that dynamic was being explored, and I think they've stopped doing it. I think Saban realized, and he gets so snippy about things, he just wants to do what he wants, and he doesn't want anyone to tell him he can't do what he wants. But when you start bringing grown-ass men back to campus to practice with these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, that undercuts completely the argument that these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids shouldn't be practicing with grown-ass men at the NFL level. That's not what it is. It's about protecting college football. And it's also about unfairly and unreasonably protecting these young men from their own nature. See, they exploit their nature when they lure them to college football under this vague guise of it being a pathway to the NFL, even though a very small percentage are ever going to make it. They don't want these kids to go all in with that bet and just skip over college football and say, oh, we're into the draft. I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to get drafted in the first round. That's what my agent tells me. That's what my dad tells me. That's what my mom tells me. So my friends tell me, you're going to be a first-round pick. You rushed for 1,900 yards in high school. 22 touchdowns in high school. You're headed for the NFL. Then you don't get drafted. Then what do you do? You've signed with an agent so you can't go play college football. You're screwed. So it does protect them in a roundabout way. But my argument has always been they shouldn't need that protection. We shouldn't be protected from the stupid decisions we make as adults. The right to life, liberty, and this pursuit of happiness includes within it a right to screw your life up. Yes, we make decisions all the time to better ourselves. Sometimes those decisions don't work out. You don't stop people from making bad investments, and you can make a bad investment at the age of 18 if you got the money to make a bad investment. If you win the lottery at age 18, I'm assuming you can play if you're under 21, I don't know. But if you win the lottery at age 18 or you come into a bunch of money that isn't tied up in a trust and you can do whatever you want with it, there's no governmental force that swoops in and says you can't squander all that money on some speculative investment or just buy a bunch of lottery tickets or buy a bunch of booze or buy a bunch of weed or otherwise piss it away on sports cars and expensive houses. We don't tell people how to live their lives. Why do we tell college football players how to live their lives? Why do we erect this barrier? We do it to protect college football. That's the problem. That's what makes a corrupt industry even more corrupt. And people get mad at me. Oh, how, how dare you? you? You benefit from college football. Those players end up in the NFL. They're home. But I, that, that, that doesn't prevent me from saying that college football is inherently corrupt. They exploit the players, especially the best ones. What does Trevor Lawrence get out of the next two years? What does he get? An education. What does Clemson get? out of the next two years of having Trevor Lawrence. What do they get? They get a full stadium every week, standing room only every week. Jerseys, hats, paraphernalia, beer sales, everything that they sell at the stadium that costs way too much money. National platform for the program, all the money that comes from the TV deals. More appearances in NCAA championship round games. 
They benefit from Trevor Lawrence dramatically. And what does he get out of it? I'm not suggesting he should sit out the next two years. Some people already were making that that argument coming out of last night. I don't think it makes sense. He still needs to develop his game. Even if he'd be drafted right now, you can't just you can't just sit tight for two years. You gotta practice football, you gotta play football. I think he plays if if he's my son, my brother, my cousin, my friend, anybody that I care about, I say play one more year. And then in twenty twenty, either sit it out or go play in the XFL. Because the XFL, and we've issued some posts on this today, the XFL isn't slamming the door on this possibility. And I don't know what they would pay him, but you know what? I know they're going to have a, a, a salary scale and they're doing a single entity structure, so there's no antitrust issues if they decide this is what someone's going to be paid. They also can say we're making an exception for Trevor Lawrence. Somebody who comes from college that we deem to be worthy of bringing into the XFL, we're going to pay him whatever we choose to pay him. Because Trevor Lawrence is going to bring to the table eyeballs, ticket sales, ratings, jersey sales, all the stuff that he brings to Clemson, the difference, though, is with the XFL, he can sit down to the bargaining table at arm's length and negotiate his best deal for himself. He can negotiate a percentage of ticket sales. He can negotiate a percentage of jersey sales. He can negotiate whatever he wants. And think about think about that. The XFL is woefully behind the Alliance of American Football. And I've asked the Alliance of American Football whether or not they would like Trevor Lawrence in. I think the answer is going to be no. And I think I may have interviewed Ebersol at one point, podcast style, and MDS talked to him at one point for a print interview. I vaguely recall at some point the AAF has made it clear they're following the same rules as the NFL, and for good reason. The AAF's business strategy consists of becoming the unofficially official NFL minor league. I think at some point the AAF would like to be purchased by the NFL. I think that's the long-term play here. Prove to the NFL that you can create an attractive off-season NFL minor league, a viable product fueled by gambling interest, and they're going to embrace gambling, becomes kind of a test ground for various NFL potential ideas, and you sell the thing to the NFL. They realize, hey, you know what? It can be done in a profitable way. We throw our logo, our shield on it. It's even more profitable. Thank you very much, Charlie Ebersol and Bill Polian. Here's your $100 million or whatever it would be, a billion dollars. I don't know. Here's your money. Great job. Now we're going to take it from here. That's what the AF, I think, is trying to set up. The XFL is just trying to do their own thing. And for the XFL, which has that one-year deficit with the AAF, this is a great opportunity. In your first year, in the AAF's second year, you have Trevor Lawrence. It's a no-brainer. What games are you more likely to watch? If you had to choose one or the other, if they're both on at the same time, are you watching Trevor Lawrence or are you watching Slappy McSlapperstein play for the AAF? No brainer. So anyway, I'll go back to a point that I make all the time. These kids are entitled to make business decisions. If these kids are old enough, and I know it sounds melodramatic. I said this today on PFT Live, but it's a fair and accurate comment. If these kids are old enough to sign up for military service and risk their lives in defense of the country, they are old enough to play professional football if they want to. And if college football doesn't like the fact that a huge flock of talented players would enter the draft pool and not get drafted and not have NFL careers, and they would have become great NFL players if they'd gone to college and played for three or four years and developed themselves and made themselves into first-round picks and they've squandered their futures. If the colleges don't like that, then they need to change their rules. And they need to let guys who have signed with agents, guys who have played in the NFL, guys who... I mean, at some point, let's just call it what it is. It is professional football. It's just the kids don't get paid because they've managed for the last hundred years to not pay them. And they are going to avoid their ox being gored in that regard for as long as possible because it's a hell of a lot easier to run the program when all the other people who are siphoning money out of that stew of cash don't have to worry about paying the players. All right, enough of that. Philip Lindsay, a guy who went from undrafted all the way to the Pro Bowl. A great story coming out of the 2018 season. 
He is one of the finalists for the Vizio Top Value Performer Award, and Vizio does a great job of making all of those folks available for brief interviews. Here's a conversation I had earlier today with Broncos rookie running back, Philip Lindsay. I always root for a great story, and there was no story better in the 2018 season than the story of Philip Lindsay, Denver area native, high school, college, and then signed by the Broncos as an undrafted free agent goes on to become the first undrafted rookie to make it to the Pro Bowl, and he joins us now on behalf of the Vizio Top Value Performer Program. Philip, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and it's been great to watch what you've done as a rookie. And when you look at the entire course of 2018, from when you showed up for offseason workouts all the way through until when you made it to the Pro Bowl, when was the moment that you knew you were going to make it in the NFL? Um, the moment I knew I was going to make it in the NFL is, you know, in college. You know, pretty much when I went, when, when I was able to do what I, what I did against the, the talent in Pac-12, is very talented, and a lot of those players are the same players that are in the NFL right now, and I was doing it against them, then I knew that I, I deserved to be there and why, why I couldn't be there either. When you got there, was there a certain aspect of your game that you need you needed to work on and you did work on and you improved to help you climb the, the ladder on the depth chart? Um, mainly it was just me being consistent. And I knew that, you know, I knew that I was a consistent kind of person and it was just going out there and showcasing it and showcasing it every single day. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of reps, maybe three to five reps of, of practice. So I need to make the most of it. Every, every day I need to be consistent on it. I need, I need to know the playbook. I need to be smart. I need to, you know, do things uh, on special teams to, to impress the coaches. I knew I needed to do, do uh, the most in order to, to make the team. I saw a picture of you in the preseason wearing number two, and that usually means this guy's pretty far down on the depth chart because we ran out of numbers for him within his normal position. How much of that became motivation for you to take that number two as a sign to everybody, hey, I'm not going to stay at the bottom of the depth chart. I'm going to get myself a regular running back number ASAP. Yeah. I mean, it just for me to to see that I didn't get a a, a, a double-digit number, I mean, it kind of like it, it made me feel like I wasn't there yet. You know, I was just here, and I needed to find a way to make the team. You know, and it, sometimes it does suck that you sit there and, and people are getting drafted in, in, in your room. For us, we have a whole our whole Pac-12 uh, our whole Pac-12 uh, running back court. You know, is in that room. Everybody on the on the roster is uh, from the Pac-12. So it's against uh, dudes that you've played against your whole life, and for them to be able to get drafted and stuff, and you did the same things that they did, and maybe even better at the time. You know, you're sitting here on the bottom of the total pole trying to make the team. So it was a lot of motivation. There's a great profile of you in Bleacher Report that I, I read earlier today. And you were mad when the Broncos didn't draft you late in the process. Uh, it looks like you came pretty close to saying, no thanks, Broncos, I'm going to sign elsewhere as a free agent. Exactly. I was. I was very upset, especially you see here. Uh, you know, you, you know they have you know a lot of draft picks at the time, and they decide to take two other running backs. You know, and, and I'm sitting here in their home state, did real well, and for me it was more of so like, you guys felt that I wasn't good enough to be a seventh round draft pick at least. So I was really angry. You know, I was, and I and I did uh, almost make the decision to go elsewhere. If it wasn't for my mother, then I probably would be playing somewhere else right now. Do you think that not being drafted actually ended up being better for you, that it gave you even more of a chip on the shoulder than if you had been drafted? Yeah, I think that everything happens for a reason. And not and me not being drafted just added to my story. And honestly, everything happens, you know, like I said, for a reason. It happens to people. And things happen when they happen because God feels like at that time you need to go through this obstacle and that you can overcome this obstacle. So I just I defeated the odds and I gave a lot of people – uh, out there hope that, you know, they can do it too. Because all it's about is it's, it's about, you know, it's you against you at the end of the day. And being able to look yourself in the mirror and be like, what are you going to do? Are you going to let things, uh, you know, determine what you, you get to do? and Or are you going to go out there and, and, and do what you want to do and work hard for it? You know, there's only so much people can do and take away from you, you know. Uh, but they can't take away your faith. And, you know, and they can't take away that, that hard work and, and drive and dedication. Philip, you've got another obstacle now. You suffered a wrist injury against the Raiders on Christmas Eve. Yeah. How's that going, and when do you think you'll be back to 100%? Uh, 
Yeah, um, so the surgery went smooth, and uh, they, it's healing real well, and uh, the doctors are happy about it. So now it's just about being patient. I can't give you a time right now, um, but it is going, you know, smoothly, and uh, the goal, you know, goal is to be able to see me play uh, next year at the start of the year. So, um, but it, it is it, it's going well. You know, I, I can't sit here and tell you a time because, you know, the body is different. The body takes, you know, as much time as it's going to need to, to be there, but, it's going smooth right now. You made it to the Pro Bowl, but because you're injured, you can't go, and the Broncos can't pay your way. But I see that there's a GoFundMe effort that's up to $4,800 to pay your way to the Pro Bowl, and that just shows what the fans think of you. Why do you think you've made such a connection with football fans? Yeah, I mean, I just gave you know everybody hope, gave everybody something to, to root for. Uh, there's nothing better than a home state kid going out there, putting, you know, putting his body on the line. Uh, his body on the line for, for his, his team, you know, and, and this is the team that I, I grew up uh, watching and cheering for. And I think uh, a lot of fans, uh, they love that and they respect that. You know, on top of that, they uh, a lot of fans, you know, know what type of person, what type of man I am. And, and it's always good when, when you have people that look up to you because you're doing the right thing. Uh, I will say this, the fans should be happy. One, you know, you know, it's, you know, it was an honor for them to do the GoFundMe yet. And if they would have been able to make all that money, you know, it would have been a great gesture to go off that. But um, I would have probably gave it to charity, uh, to, to kids, young kids that needed it. And there's so much more that is more important than me going to Florida. Uh, no matter what, I was going to be a pro bowler regardless. And uh, for fans to be able to do that, it's an honor. Uh, but but kids would you know kids would have really been able to benefit from it and help them out, especially during that time, that Christmas uh, time and everything else. Uh, but because of the fans pushing me, pushing for me to go so much, uh, you know, uh, my agency pushing me to go so much, and the Bronco organization, the NFL found a spot for me on a uh, spot for me uh, in Orlando as a social media correspondent uh, for the NFL. So I will be going there, and I'll be uh, pretty much talking to all the players and and uh, just uh, being able to get the experience there. So because of the fans pushing so hard, and I want to thank them, uh, the NFL came up with something for me to do. So, so you get to go, you and you don't have to pay your way. And you don't have to pay your way now. You get to go, and you don't have to pay your way. No. All right. Well, the, that's the, great news. The fans, the fans uh, spoke, you know, and, and the NFL, you know, came back and, and it just shows, you know, uh, how much they, they do care about things like this. So I want to thank the fans out there for that. Hey, Philip, I know i got to let you go here quickly. Before we run, though, the 2018 Top Value Performer Award presented by Vizio, the nominees, Philip Lindsay and four other guys that I won't mention. No, I'll mention them. Blake Martinez, Chris Carson, Tyler Boyd, Kenny Galladay. I said it quickly. Where, where do fans need to go to vote for Philip Lindsay as the Top Value Performer for 2018? Yeah, so you go to Vizio.com, uh, and you, you you cast your vote. And uh, once you cast your vote, you know, which, you know, is for me, uh, you, you know, the fans have an opportunity to win a 70-inch TV. So they got to go to Vizio, uh, Vizio.com slash TVP uh, to vote. And uh, once they do that, they put the vote in, and they cast a vote for, you know, whoever they want to, whoever they feel like uh, should win it. You know, last year, Alvin Kamara won it. So it'd be an honor for another running back to win it this year, uh, you know, uh, specifically me. Like, but, uh, <laughs> uh, they just go and vote, and they have an opportunity to win. They have opportunity to win a 70-inch TV. So it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, a great thing for them to be able to do, and they got the power. You know, the fans, the fans are, are, are um, you know, love, and everybody, you know, you know, wants to hear from the fans because it means a lot to be able to, to hear from the fans and know what they, they feel about you. Well, it's Vizio.com slash TVP. Voting is open until January 20. And, Philip, after the Pro Bowl, come to Atlanta. Come to the Media Center. Come hang out at Radio Row. We'll put you on the show live in the morning and uh, talk a little bit more with you. All right, man. All right. I'm pretty sure I'll see you in Atlanta. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right. You take care. All right. Thanks again to Philip Lindsay and Vizio. Now is the time to answer some of your questions as, oh, God, there's 74 of them today. People, come on. I like to answer them all. 74? PFTPM Posse makes this statement and poses this question. The PFTPM Posse always rips on Nick Saban for failing spectacularly in the NFL, but is arguably the best NCAA 
coach of all time because they're different games with different skills needed to succeed. Is there anything other than his work with NFL quarterbacks that will make Cliff Kingsbury a good NFL head coach? I don't know. I don't know. Can he command the room? A room of men? I don't know. Let's coach for a long time. Now you can argue that you've already commanded that room and it's really not all that different. But the thought that you got fired by Texas Tech and you're going to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, it's a stunner. It really is. And we'll see what he does. It's definitely going to be interesting. It may not be successful, but it's definitely going to be interesting. PFTPM Posse Tom G. Post wants to know, are quarterbacks more coddled than key players in other team sports? Lamar Jackson brings it to the fore by not having been pulled at halftime or early in the third quarter when it could have changed the game. In hockey, by contrast, goalies get pulled all the time. I think the concern in Baltimore, whether we agree with it or not, is they didn't want to ruin Lamar Jackson by benching him during that playoff game. And I, Jackson is mentally tough enough that he ruined by taking out of a game, clearly not getting it done. And I know eventually he turned it around, but he didn't win the game. We don't know what would have happened if they put Joe Flacco in the game. So I disrupt it and we don't want to go down that path. And we've carefully constructed the offense for this purpose. And we're going to move on from Joe Flacco. Inevitable divorce that they're going to have with Joe Flacco. Because what happens if you bring Flacco in and he saves that game? Who do you go with next week? Do you go with Lamar Jackson? Do you go with Joe Flacco? What happens if Flacco wins that game? What do you do with Flacco? You're going to have a fan base that gets riled up about keeping Joe Flacco. Then your deliberate plan to move on from Joe Flacco, because the reality with Flacco, and there's a chance he would have come in and won the game. When Flacco has a chip on his shoulder and or a stick up his butt, he's better. He's better. He was great in 2012. He was very good early this year after there had been so much talk about Lamar Jackson supplanting him. And then he got injured, and he, he kind of, who knows how long he was fighting that injury before he was unable to play. But the reality is, you don't want to get a false playoff performance from Joe Flacco, something that isn't indicative of where he currently is as a player. If he were the starter next year, you don't want to screw that up. You've made that plan. You've made that bed. You're trying to sleep in it. I think that's ultimately why they did it. I don't think it was about protecting Lamar Jackson as much as it was about protecting their plan to move on from Joe Flacco. Although you could argue that if they had had some success in the playoffs and if Flacco had been very good, they'd have an easier path toward trading him. The problem is, at some point he does so well, the fans are going to say, trade him. We think you should keep him. PFTPM Posse passes along on Chow the Cactus. Should the XFL and the AAF lower their allow younger players? We've addressed this already with Trevor Lawrence. Rules. The XFL is leaving the door open for someone who has played little or no college football. The AAF, I think, is going to continue to dig in, be, be consistent with the NFL. Tom G. Post question, could the Eagles have or how likely is it they Foles trade story prior to the Bears game to try to stem the tide of Foles versus Wentz in 2019? You're talking about the story, and this was NFL media reporting that the Eagles may try to trade Foles next year. I, I don't know. I'm always skeptical anytime NFL media reports anything because NFL media is the NFL and it's 32 teams. And if you have an in-house media company that can be the platform for leaking is the best way to do it. That's the easy way to do it. They work for you, right? The independents, and I remember when Albert Breer left NFL Network, he made it clear that the independents that once existed no longer does. There are a lot of tentacles between NFL media and the NFL because NFL media is the NFL. So it's an interesting thought. Did the Eagles deliberately use NFL media to put that story out there to get people to quit talking about the Foles-Wentz debate. Well, it doesn't matter because they're still going to talk about it. And let me tell you, if they can say against the Saints, I, that's where the Eagles reach the point where they have to decide whether or not Foles or is a long-term guy. And I don't think you can keep both of them. You have to pick one and move the other. PFTPM Posse with Mike McCarthy's Browns interview being put on a permanent hold and his name not seriously being mentioned in connection with other vacant head coaching jobs. How likely is it that he's not an NFL head coach this season? Will he go the media route and try to rehab his image? I mean, I guess he could go be an offensive coordinator. He's got a buyout from the Green Bay Packers. And I heard of a, an intriguing dynamic recently, and I don't know how often this happens, but apparently, you know, you don't always have that because the idea is, hey, I'm under contract for X years. If I go work for another team, I'm working for free because my my old team has a dollar-for-dollar dollar buyout. 
So why do I want to work for free? It's not unprecedented for someone to negotiate a lump sum that would be less than the total amount, and then they go forward and they keep whatever money they make elsewhere. So I don't know what McCarthy's specific deal is, but there may not be an incentive to work next year. And if you're not going to get a head coaching job, do you want to go be an offensive coordinator for free? You pick the right team, though. Wouldn't it be funny if you'd end up the offensive coordinator in Minnesota? You pick the right team, you turn an offense around, and maybe you put yourself back in the mix to be a head coach. That's what Dirk Cutter's doing in Atlanta. It looks like he's going to get that job. And when you're the offensive coordinator of a team with a defensive coach, that's how you set the table to get yourself back in the NFL. All right. I got to start scrolling through these. There's just too many. Dustin Lowe Miller. Are we just going to pretend the Antonio Brown situation has nothing to do with the Madden curse? This is a very creative application of the Madden curse. That there was no injury that derailed his season, that it was a fake injury that was embellished to cover up the fact that he went AWOL on his team. Being on the Madden cover will cause you to potentially go AWOL on your team in its darkest hour. I kind of like that. Leapers 500, what's the appeal to John Elway or others of having a 60-year-old rookie head coach in Vic Fangio? What does 22 and 26 Mike Munchak bring to the table other than a picture of mediocrity? How can John Elway make a fan base excited with these as his favorite candidates? Well, Mike Munchak has become one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. That doesn't mean he's going to be a great head coach. And I don't know that he ever got a in Tennessee. I think they had not much talent. I know they had not much talent at all in those years. With Fangio, great defensive mind. And see, if they make Gary Kubiak the offensive coordinator or if he is involved enough that it's his offense... You don't have to worry about somebody pilfering your offensive coordinator or Kubiak generally to be a head coach because he's done with that. Health reasons, he stepped away from coaching. That's the only circumstance where I would want a defensive coach in this day and age. I know that the offensive coordinator is never leaving. If my offensive coordinator is Norv Turner because he's never leaving, he's not going to be a head coach, that ship has sailed multiple times, that's the best way to go. It's like Wade Phillips in L.A., Defense can be great. He ain't leaving because nobody's going to hire him to be a head coach. That's what you want if you're going to be a defensive coach. You want an offensive guy who isn't going anywhere, which makes Vic Fangio more attractive. And I have a feeling Lions, Packers, Vikings, cross their fingers and hoping Fangio gets the hell out of Chicago. Because for as good as that offense was this year, one of the big reasons the offense was that good is because the defense was dominant. And it's much easier to have a great offense when your defense is setting the table for you the way that Vic Fangio's offense did. Dean Osborne, 42. Any ideas about the next offensive innovation we might see in the NFL? Like we saw with the Wildcat and the RPO, could the run and shoot ever make a comeback? The run and shoot's a problem because when you have a lead, you have no way to run out the clock. You run and shoot your way into a Oilers-Bills epic failure. I think that we're going to continue to see the migration of the college concepts to the NFL. So these great college quarterbacks are given a chance to succeed at the NFL level. We may see some teams try to copy what the Ravens are doing. I don't know how sustainable it is, but it could get copied if you can find quarterbacks who can do what the Ravens are trying to do with a quarterback who runs the ball almost as much as he passes the ball. I still think that you are asking for serious health issues with your quarterback if you do that. Right now, though, there isn't that wildcat RPO read option type of a, of a, of a phenomenon. And I remember what it's been five, six years ago with the read option, how we were going to stop it. And then it just kind of, it kind of got bottled up and gobbled up and it went away. The RPOs in Philly this year weren't as effective because they didn't have the R to make the PO effective. Wouldn't it be, you know, I, they got away from it this year, but now that they're running the ball fairly well, I could see, that the that the the Eagles are waiting for the right point to unleash it. Like it's a little rope a dope. Switching back to Southpaw. When's that RPO gonna come back in full force? And it could come back in full force as soon as this weekend. A Red Zone Alk, does Nick Foles, not Carson Wentz, hold the key to Doug Peterson's long term future in Philadelphia? I don't know about that. All I know is this Carson Wentz is a better quarterback. Nick Foles is a quarterback who makes the Eagles a better team. And part of this is on Peterson. This is a Chris Sims take that I think is very valid and very viable. 
the Eagles get smitten with Carson Wentz and they get away from the things they need to do, the things they'd like to do, and they end up doing things that they think Carson Wentz allows them to do and it screws everything up. They need to get focused on what they believe their offense should be, what their core principles should be, running the ball, setting up the RPOs, running the quarterback selectively, or not at all, as the case may be with Nick Foles. They think that Carson Wentz can do those Houdini acts and bail them out and buy time and make things happen and gets them away from the structure of their offense. And unless Doug Peterson is going to find a way to ignore the things that Carson Wentz can do to harness Carson Wentz and make him into more of a Nick Foles, unless that happens, then Nick Foles is your better option. Matt Yvonne, should Al Riveron get some credit for properly applying the obscure catch-no-catch rule in the Bears versus Eagles game? He even put out a tweet explaining the rule, which actually helped me as a fan. Yeah, you know, here's the problem. Tony Corrente did a bad job of explaining it. You can't just turn on the microphone and say there was no clear recovery, so it's an incomplete pass. You can't just do that. Now, I don't want an Ed Hockley explanation. Can you imagine? pulling out the relevant language of the casebook, reading it verbatim, and then talking for 10 minutes about what it means. But we should have had something between Hockley and Carenti. Because simply saying what Carenti said wasn't nearly enough to help us all understand it. And that led to widespread confusion about what was going on. And it wasn't until halftime or after halftime that we started to understand it. And even though at the end of the day, it became clear that the league office and Carenti applied the rule correctly, even if it's a bad rule. We can disagree with the rule, but they applied the rule correctly. There was that 10 to 15 minutes of widespread confusion where we thought the league didn't know what the hell it was doing. And nothing that happens after the fact ever takes that away. I mean, there was a time, one of my former colleagues, when I was practicing law, somehow accidentally... A very rough draft of a brief that he was working on got submitted to the guy who ran the firm. And the next day, here's the just written marks all over it, remarks and typos and bad sentences and bad concepts. And it, it it was like the first draft. It was like 10 versions ago. It wasn't meant to be the one that was submitted. And ultimately, you know, it's funny. Oh, yeah, that wasn't the right one. Sorry, here's the right one. Nothing takes away that 12 hours of time where the the boss thought, this guy didn't know what the hell he's doing. No explanation ever makes those 12 hours go away. And for what happened on Sunday, no explanation after the fact removes the reality that millions of people ended up thinking the NFL doesn't know what the hell it's doing in that situation. Matt and Beantown, we always hear that deadlines and multiple offers spur action in negotiations. What other teams were interested in Matt LaFleur? If they were, they hadn't requested to interview him. Now, maybe the agent, and I don't know who the agent for Matt LaFleur is, did a Jedi mind trick on the Green Bay Packers. Maybe that happened. Maybe they they just got them to think, hey, you know what? You better do this now, or we're walking right out of here, mister. We want you you make our you make our guy the guy or we're done. We're going to make it known that we're available. I don't know. I doubt that that happened. I don't think you, you play that game with the Green Bay Packers. I think the Packers just decided they really liked this guy. They did their homework ahead of time. They locked in on Matt LaFleur. They decided they liked him. The interview was confirmation of it, not elimination, but confirmation. This is the right guy. This is the right guy. And haven't we been in spots like that where we kind of know what we think we're going to want, whether it's a car, whether it's a house, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a job, and you kind of know that's what you want and everything about the process of formally exploring it just checks every box. You know, I got this Alfa Romeo out in the garage, and after we we were down in Florida for a couple of days, summer of 2017, and we we rented it, we rented one, and and drove up and down the coast, and you know, we're in the thing for eight hours. It's like I really like this, so I start exploring it. I really like this, and I kept looking for reasons to not like it. And the more research I did, the more I liked it. And I eventually got to the point where shit, I got to buy the thing now. So I think that may have happened. Not not that the Packers would have had the same as shit. I guess we got to hire him now. I don't think it was quite that that articulation in the Green Bay front office, but I think they did their homework. And once they talked to the guy, they knew that everything that they had learned ahead of time had come to fruition. This is the right guy to move forward. 
Case Steez 13 has an interesting question. Should the NFL eliminate the use of whistles by referees? It seems a lot of game-changing plays are blown dead when officials are too quick to blow the whistle. The job could be delegated somewhere else or used as another reason to add a booth official. Look, I've said for a few years now, they need to take the current function. They need to run and start over. What is the process for ending a play? Who's responsible for ending a play? When do we blow the whistle? How do we blow the whistle? Should everyone have a whistle? Or should there be somebody who is in the booth that hits the button? Right? I don't know. But there's so much technology out there. The idea that some middle-aged dude running around with a whistle in his mouth accidentally blows into it at the wrong time and kills the play isn't good. Now, with that said... The fact that they ended the play in that Chicago-Philadelphia game and the ball squirted out, the players are coached to go get the ball. And it's inexcusable that no one from Philadelphia or Chicago went and got the ball. But I don't like the very old-school, low-tech plastic device with a little ball inside of it that makes a loud whistling sound when you project there should be a better way to signify that a football play has ended and everyone should stop doing what they're doing. J. Randall 15, is it possible Cliff Kingsbury is a good coach but a bad recruiter and could still be successful with the Cardinals? I mean, I guess it's possible. It's possible. But remember, all due respect, this is the same group that hired Steve Wilkes. So, you know. But the Jets wanted him too, so maybe that counts for something. All right, let's see what else we have here. Some of these are topics we've already addressed. Dean Osborne, 42, do you think Josh McDaniels has a wink-nod agreement to take over from Belichick at some point? I don't think so. And the Patriots were ready for him to leave. And I think they were thinking he was going to be the guy who got the Packers, not the Packers job, the Browns job. And in one day, boom, Packers job goes to someone else, boom. Browns really aren't a consideration. Despite that report last week from the Canton Repository that the Browns are interested in McDaniels and McDaniels is interested in the Browns. He's ever going to jump to the Browns, now's the year to do it. And I don't know how much of what happened last year caused teams to shy away. I really don't think McDaniels is going to jilt somebody again, but it could be this. It's not necessarily fearing McDaniels as much as it's fearing the Patriots. And not that it's improper or wrong for the Patriots to do this, but what if you get McDaniels to take your job and then you send him back to New England to finish the season. Now, you're not allowed to officially hire him, but there's a lot of winking and nodding that occurs in these situations, and we know that last year with the Colts. It was a wink nod that McDaniels was going to take the job. Three assistant coaches were hired, including Matt Eberflus, on the understanding that Josh McDaniels was going to take the job because he told him he was going to take the job. He just didn't officially take the job because he couldn't. So then he goes back to New England. They lose the Super Bowl, and then before he can escape New England, they lock him in a room... And they get him to change his mind. Now, they didn't lock him in the room, but they got him to change his mind. So, even if you don't think McDaniels is going to do it again, you can't rule out the possibility of the Patriots putting on an even harder full court press, throwing even more money at McDaniels, doing whatever it takes to get him to change his mind again. And if he says, guys, I can't do this for the second straight year, you can say to him, well, it didn't hurt you last year. Blame it on us. And that may be what it came down to. For the Browns, maybe. Because I don't know why the Browns wouldn't have wanted him. Made a ton of sense. And wouldn't you feel better as a Browns fan? All due respect to Kevin Stefanski and Freddie Kitchens, if Josh McDaniels was going to be your coach? Wouldn't you feel better about that? I know I would. I was thinking that the Browns are set up to make the kind of hire that makes everybody say, holy crap, the Browns are really for real. With Kitchens and Stefanski, the jury's out on whether or not they're for real. It could be. Jury's out. Gears of Ted are the Vikings, the new version of the Cowboys and the Panthers, where they alternate good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Well, the Panthers had several good years. But the Vikings definitely are on this roller coaster. First year with Mike Zimmer, no playoffs. Second year playoffs. Third year, no playoffs. Fourth year playoffs. Fifth year, no playoffs. And and they do boomerang back and forth. And I think they lose sight. When they're good, they lose sight of what made them good, and they can't replicate that. They didn't have that nasty edge this year, according to Mike Zimmer. And the expectations were too high, and the Vikings did nothing to reel them in. And I was on with Paul Allen earlier today. KFAN, he has the weekday show, 9 to noon Central Time. And I, I got the sense, talking to people I know in Chicago last week, that everybody was all in. 
with the Bears beating the Eagles. That they, they didn't even entertain the possibility of the Eagles coming in and pulling off the upset. And I think for the players and the coaches, the people who live in the town, the people who hear it, the people who feel it, you know, you're not in a cocoon. You're not sequestered when you play for an NFL team. You go home. You have the radio on. You see certain things. You're curious to see what they're saying. You see your neighbors. You see your friends. You see your family. I mean, think about it. It was the week of New Year's Eve. What do you think? These guys went home and did nothing on New Year's Eve. They didn't go to a party. They didn't go out. You start to pick up on the vibe in the city. And the vibe in the city was, yeah, yeah, okay, Eagles. You won the Super Bowl last year. And, yeah, you got into the playoffs. But it ends here, guys. Sorry. Don't, let's not get crazy about this. We're the monsters of the midway. You guys are limping into the playoffs with Nick Foles at quarterback. Sorry, but it ain't happening. And I feel like that vibe takes over a city and it trickles into the organization. I think it happened in Minnesota. The expectations are way too high. They needed somebody in that organization, and it starts with the head coach, to stand up and say, folks, look, I know you think that we're just going to waltz right back into the playoffs and get right back to the NFC Championship game, and now that we have a new quarterback, just step right into the Super Bowl. That's not how it works. Folks, we have to go back to zero and zero and we have to work one game at a time. So stop it with this presumption that we're going to be right back where we were last year. Just stop it. We're not guaranteed anything. See, that's the problem. If you're that honest, then they eventually say, well, why the hell are we buying tickets? How dare you rain on our excitement? You know, there's a certain amount of carnival barkering that goes on with these teams. And I don't think that it's in their interest. To say things like, hey, you know what? We're not going to be as good this year as you think we're going to be. Because at some point, people are going to believe it and say, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll do something else on my Sundays this fall. Get back to me when you think you're going to be good. That's when I'll buy tickets. All right, I want to see what else is here. There's a lot of questions. I want to wrap it up. Buffalo Guy 83 would you agree that Disney is monopolizing the entertainment industry? Do you ever fear that Disney could buy NBC? I don't think Disney is monopolizing the entertainment industry. Look around. There's so many choices out there. There's more choices than ever before. Do I fear Disney could buy NBC? Well, they'd have to buy Comcast. I mean, I guess Comcast could sell NBC to Disney. I, I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't fear. I, I, there's a lot more stuff that I can control, that I have at least a hand in controlling that I fear. That's the least of my concerns. J. Randall, 15, Saban has been rumored to the NFL. Why not Dabo Swinney? Hey, look, I know what the Alabama fans want to do since Swinney went to Alabama. They want to get rid of Saban. They want to float him on an iceberg and bring in Dabo. Dabo to Tuscaloosa. Black 88 Elite, my new AFC pick for the Super Bowl is the New England Patriots. Don't at me. Black 88 Elite, if Tom Brady wins another title, does he walk away? I tell you what, if they win the Super Bowl this year, I have a feeling he does. It's easier for me to, to... to say that because, I mean, what's the chances of them winning? Although I, I think that they will. We did a playoff bracket last week going into the postseason, and I picked the Patriots to win it all. Looking at the remaining questions, trying to pick one good. I always like to end up on a good one. Icaro Franco, could Tomlin be in play for the Tampa job? No, because it looks like it's going to Bruce Arians. Although this concept of possibly trading, wouldn't that be something? Trade for Mike Tomlin? Bring him back to Tampa. The real Forno, if Kevin Stefanski leaves Minnesota, what will that say about Mike Zimmer and Minnesota? Well, what does it say about Stefanski? Last I checked, he had back-to-back games where it was three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Like the objective of the game is to go three and out. If that's the objective of the game, Stefanski was great. I don't know what's going on with the Vikings. All I know is this. With Mike Zimmer under contract for only one year, it's going to be hard to hire a good offensive coordinator because that guy's going to be feeling a ton of pressure to save everyone's job. Oh, yeah, you get a three-year contract. You've got security. You don't want to go to Minnesota, be there for a year, and leave. And you don't want it all to be on your shoulders. It's too much. There's already enough pressure in the sport that adds to it dramatically. Here's a copy of Madden. Baker Mayfield. Let's go with Baker Mayfield. Although a lot of times, the franchise quarterbacks don't do it because there's a budget for what they're going to pay for whoever's on the cover. And... You have to have a guy who who doesn't really want to put his thumb on the scale. And that was one of the reasons why Peyton Manning was, he was on like one, there was like a, an obscure Microsoft game for Xbox he was on. And Tom Brady did it one time, I think, because his kid thought it would push him to do it because his kid was old enough to really be into the sport. Usually it's not a franchise quarterback because you have to, it has to be somebody who is willing to take whatever Madden will pay and, and get the satisfaction from the exposure. And, you know, 
who cares about who's on the cover, right? Because nobody even buys the game anymore. They just download it digitally. But that startup screen, you get that 45 seconds of digital you every time somebody fires it up. That's where the value is. You can't escape it. I got that song burned in my brain and all the, the images of Antonio Brown. Unfortunately, there's no image of him walking out on the team week 17. I mean, if they're going to update the game in real time, if, if it's going to be, if it's in the game, it's in the game, then they better have Anto- a shot of Antonio Brown at practice throwing the ball at Ben Roethlisberger and storming off. If it's in the game, it's in the game. All right, I'm out of the game. That's uh, at least an hour for today's PFTPM. I think I'll do one tomorrow because Thursday it's time to head to Kansas City for the Colts-Chiefs game on Saturday. we got an hour-and-a-half pregame show heading into that, and that's going to be fun. We're going to be at the stadium. We're going to I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what I'm authorized to say, so I'm not going to get into any details of how we're going to cover this game, but the pregame show is going to feel special, and the pregame show is going to be special. And I want you to watch the pregame show. I want you to watch all of it. And if you don't think it's special, then you can complain to me about it on Monday when we do the PFTPM podcast coming out of the divisional round. So 3 o'clock Eastern, set your DVRs now. I know it's a pain in the ass to scroll forward four days. I'm, I'm sure there's an easier way to do it that I just don't know how to do. But set your DVRs now. Watch that pregame show. It's going to feel special. It's going to be special. And the weekend is going to be special. And it starts with Colts Chiefs. So we'll do PFTPM tomorrow. I will head to Kansas City on Thursday. Who knows? Maybe I'll do one from the hotel room, depending upon what's going on on Friday. But we're doing PFT Live from Kansas City on Friday. Hour and a half pregame show on Saturday. And then Colts and Chiefs. I've yet to make my pick. But the Chiefs haven't won a home playoff game since Joe Montana was the quarterback. And it was 1993, I believe. And they beat the Steelers in overtime. I think that's the last time they won a home playoff game. I need to research that if I'm going to continue to say this. I know it was Montana as quarterback. I think it was 93. And my record in fact book isn't in the room where I would look at it right now. I'll look it up. And tomorrow when we do PFTPM, I'll have the answer. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.